Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. But today we're going to start a new series on the story of Elijah. If you can get your Bibles, open them up to 1 Kings 17, turn them on, open them up, whatever works for you. And uh, we're going to start this series looking at this man called Elijah, a well-known prophet in the Bible. And every year I make it a bit of a thing that we focus on a particular Bible character. The sad thing is often people learn about Bible characters as stories, Daniel and the lion's den. Noah and the Ark, David and Goliath. And we think they're children's stories, and then we put them away in the children's storybook, and we think that's not got anything to teach me. The Bible characters are there for us to learn something about how God uses people, how God works through people. And all those characters I've mentioned, they have done incredible things. The story of Moses we covered, you know, Moses is incredible. 40 years learning how to be somebody in the palace. Then 40 years learning how to be nobody in the desert so that God could spend 40 years showing Moses how a nobody can do something with God at work in his life. We want to learn from these Bible characters. We want to learn from the story of Elijah. And so we're going to go through 1 Kings 17. Leave that open. We're going to dot in and out of it as we go through this morning. And I want to talk particularly today about how to make a man of God. Elijah was known as a man of God. He did incredible things. But how did he become a man of God? How do you make a man of God? If you've ever had that experience of going to Build-A-Bear Workshop in Southampton, it's not like that. If you've ever been to build a, this, this might even, some of you already are starting to get the shakes looking at that. Who's ever been with a child to build a bear workshop? Who's ever been back? Wow. It's, it's like, I mean, it's worse than Ikea. I mean, as a man, that's like, that's like bad enough. But you go into build a bear workshop and your child chooses a, 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 a bear they would like to make that day. And that takes long enough as it is. You choose the bear, then they go, right, do you want to put a heart inside it? And then they say, no, no, what about like? They say, we'd like to kiss the heart before you put the heart into the bear. Some of you are shaking your head. Some of you got this experience ahead of you. And you kiss the heart, you put it in. That was just me. The children didn't want to do it, but I joined in. And then you can put a sound in it. You can make a sound. You can have a little squeezy paw. And the best, my favorite bit is they, they shove it full of stuffing. They have this kind of machine, like a big reverse hoover that shoves it full of stuffing. And this bear appears. And they say, do you want to buy a hat for it? Do you want to buy clothes for it? Do you want to buy a brush to brush it every day with it? Would you like a birth certificate for it? And everything costs a bit more money. And as you go around the store and you think you've bought the cheap bear, by the time you get to the till, you've got a very expensive bear. And you're smiling, oh, that's lovely, dear. How wonderful, really? And we come back home with loads of stuff that kind of gets into the hoover at the end of the day. It's amazing. Build a bear workshop. It's not like that. Okay, making a man or woman of God does not take place in build a bear workshop. You're glad to hear. God likes to take people and bring transformation. That's what he's all about. He loves to take ordinary, everyday people. I don't know if you've ever, maybe even this last few days, found yourself frustrated with people in places of power. People in the news, politicians, government, royal family members, whatever it is, you hear something, see something, and you go, I wish I could sit down with that person and have a face-to-face conversation. I cannot believe they have made that decision. I cannot believe they don't understand the implications of making that law or that rule. 
some of the stuff this week. I mean, some of the, the, the rules, like, I, you know, the MP who's shouting, you know, out in the, in the House of Parliament, and then the, the, that upskirting law gets pushed to one side as if it's like, seriously, how does that even work? And angry tweets don't seem to have enough impact, do they? And you think, I wish I could just sit down with those in places of authority. Well, this is where we find Elijah. At the beginning of 1 Kings 17, Elijah is in the throne room of King Ahab. He's in the place of authority. He's at the center of his society. Now, just to give a bit of backstory to this, King Ahab is um, a pretty mean king, to say the least. So Elijah lives in Israel, and Israel is, is the promised land. So if we go back a long, long way, we go back to the time of Moses. And Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery after 400 years. He takes them through the desert. They wander around in circles for many, many years. And eventually, under the leadership of Joshua, they go into the promised land. They go in the promised land. It's flowing with milk and honey. Everything's wonderful. They have 12 tribes. You have that bit. You have that bit. Everyone divvies up the map. Wonderful. It's all going really well. They have some judges to oversee them. And then it comes to the time of a man called Samuel. He is the final judge of Israel. And the people of Israel say to Samuel, we want a king like everyone else. And Samuel says, you know, kings are a bad idea. We follow God, not man. And eventually Samuel, under God's instruction, agrees to them. And he appoints King Saul to become the first king of Israel. Many of you know the story. King Saul starts off pretty well. And then it goes a bit wrong. And David becomes the next anointed king of Israel. David is a man after God's heart. He loves God. He follows his ways. He then has loads of sons. And one of his sons, Solomon, becomes the next king, third king of Israel. Solomon does okay. Sometimes he loves and follows God. Sometimes he doesn't. He builds a beautiful temple. He builds himself an even more beautiful house. And you have this routine of kings over Israel. And after Solomon, the kingdom separates into two. You have Israel and you have Judah, two halves of the kingdom. And uh, uh, Elijah is a prophet. He speaks the word of God to those in authority. And at the time of Elijah, since the time of Solomon, we've had 200 years, 19 consecutive kings, and they've all been bad. In fact, they haven't been bad. The Bible says they've been evil. They've walked away from God. They have decided to do things against God. They have celebrated other gods. They have actually treated the temple as if it was a place of worship to other gods. They have done evil in the sight of God. And the Bible says about this king, the present king in the time of Elijah was King Ahab. I always think we, we start our teaching series of a new series, it feels like the start of a soap opera. That we're introducing with all the main characters. So we've got Elijah, the prophet, and we've got King Ahab. The Bible says that King Ahab did more evil than all the people before him. And you've had 19 really bad kings. So he's a pretty bad guy. It gets worse. He's married to Queen Jezebel, the other character in our wonderful story over the next six weeks. Queen Jezebel is considered by some to be the most evil person ever to have lived. So you've got the most evil king married to the most evil queen and Prophet Elijah standing in front of them with the word of the God to tell them. Who wants to swap place with Elijah right now? You want to get frustrated with the powers that be? You're annoyed by a tweet by an American president? It's nothing compared to what King Ahab and Queen Jezebel were up to in those days hundreds of years ago. And that's where you find Elijah. Elijah appears from nowhere. He literally just kind of starts. In 1 Kings 17, it's the first time we hear about him. So it's a dark time, a time of corruption. And instead of sending an army to defeat King Ahab, God sends one person, Elijah. And I always find it fascinating. You look through Scripture over and over again. God uses people, often 
just by themselves, one person. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, a little baby in a manger to rescue the world. The Jewish nation were looking for a Messiah, an army leader, and they get a small, humble child. Throughout Scripture, we find these one, this man of God, this woman of God, who says, actually, no, I want to choose God's way. And Elijah was no different. The last thing I want to mention as well is Elijah's name. It's got a great meaning. Elijah stands for the Lord is my God. Elijah, the L-E-L, stands for Elohim, which is another word for God. I, God is my, and then Yah comes from Jehovah. God is my God. His very name means I am the one who loves and follows God. God is my God. He's the one I follow. And so if you go to 1 Kings 17, you get this moment where Elijah, who said this, Now Elijah, who was from Tishbe in Gilead, told King Ahab, As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, and the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. That's a one-line prophetic sentence you don't want to say in front of a very evil king. He's saying, you know, the God, the Lord of Israel, the nation that you're in charge of, there's actually there's a God who's in charge of this nation. The same God that I serve. So he's setting himself up really well. saying, this is the God of Israel. This is my God. And he says to you, no more rain. Now that's like me saying to the whole of Romsey, no more petrol. Everything stops. No more electricity. Or I don't know if you were involved a couple of weeks ago when Visa went down for six hours. Anyone get stuck at the checkouts? All right, there's like this international meltdown for six hours. People abandoned their trolleys. People shut their shops. People walked away from what they were trying to buy because suddenly for six hours, we had no way of using a piece of plastic to pay for our stuff. It's amazing, isn't it? But that's the same as it would have been in this time when no rain. No rain means no crops. No crops means no harvest. No harvest means no food. No food means no market, no sales, no taxes. The system falls down. And there is prophet Elijah standing in front of the evil king married to Mrs. Evil. And he's saying, no more rain until I say so. That's a moment, isn't it? That's a moment. And he's known as this Elijah the Tishbite. He's just known as the place he is from. I was born in Littleport in Cambridgeshire, a very small village on the side of the River Ouse. Uh, that's maybe how you can refer to someone as, oh, that's where they come from. That's where they live. That's the, that's the family they are from. That's the job they have. And often we refer to people by those kind of external um, ways of seeing people. But actually, God sees us differently. And by the end of the story, we see Elijah differently. People see Elijah differently. Beginning, he's Elijah from Tishbe in Gilead. I remember when I was younger, I was always known as John's son. It's because my dad was called John. And uh, my dad, John, was a pastor, pastor of a church. And when you're a pastor's kid, everyone thinks you should be perfect and well-behaved all the time. And they go, oh, that's John's son. Roll their eyes a little bit and go, oh, could have done better. But there was this weird little moment where suddenly, when I was probably a late teenager, early 20s, I became known, or he became known as Sim's dad. It was a beautiful little twist that may be coming my way, not too far away. Where suddenly you, go, you become known as one thing, you become known as something else. At the start of this story, Elijah is known as just a man from Tishbe. By the end of the story, God identifies him differently. So no rain, no dew until Elijah says so. 
And then God takes it, there's Elijah, he says, right, he says, verse um, 2, Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go to the east and hide by Kerith Brook, near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I've commanded them to bring you food. So Elijah did as the Lord told him and camped beside uh, Kerith Brook, east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the book. Brook, verse 6. He went to a place called Kerith. God took Elijah away. I think Elijah pegged it, if I'm honest. I think he gave the word he had to give, and then he ran as fast as he could. I don't think I'd hang around to see what King Ahab would say in response to my word from the Lord. And so he went to a place called Kerith. Kerith has an interesting meaning. It means being cut off or being cut down, whether it was taken from the word of the river being like a cut away from the River Jordan, or whether it was actually being actually cut down or cut off, is the word Kerith. And, and Elijah was cut off from his community. He became isolated. And I want to say to you today, I want to say that God often isolates us to help us to learn how to be more like him. Elijah was taken away from the center of the public space, from the throne room of the king, with all the court watching. He went from a place of authority, a place of power, to a place of isolation. And I believe that when God shapes us to become more like him, he takes us through a time of isolated pain. And I know if we're around this room, we ask the question, have you ever known a time where you've been separated, cut off, cut down, where you've been in pain, whereas you're a follower of Christ, but you just know you've had to take some time out from something. Or maybe you've had some health challenges, or you had some personal relationship challenges. You felt a sense of isolation. And Elijah was here in this time of Kerith Brook, and he was isolated, being cut off or cut down. There's this... um, quote from A.W. Tozer's well-known writer, he says this, it's quite hard to read sometimes, he said this, it is doubtful that God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. Now the only people who disagree with that sentence are people who haven't had that experience. Many people are nodding around the room going, yeah, I've been there, wow, I've had to learn some stuff. God takes us to a time of isolated pain, pain so we can learn something New. And this Kerith moment for Elijah was this place of pain, of being limited, of being away from everyone else. And it's not that God wants to break us or God wants to hurt us. James 1 says, Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Hey, everyone's cheering at this point. Yes, I'm going through pain. Because you know the testing your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance creates character. God wants to shape us. And when we think we're in control, often it's really hard for God to get into our everyday activity. We're so busy doing our stuff. God said, can I just take you out from that for a moment? Can I take you away from your busyness? Can I take you away from your feeling of self-importance? Because I need you to learn something. I want to shape you to be more like me. Can I say this morning, if you are feeling in a place of isolation or a place of pain this morning, can I say to you, be encouraged, God is at work in you. Can I also say to you, as somebody quite experienced in this time and season, allow God to do his work quickly. Don't, don't resist. Because I believe the quicker you allow God to work it through you, he'll get you out of that place. So go through the pain. Go, God, you're trying to teach me something. Please may I learn it quickly. I've just discovered I must be a slow learner. Because sometimes it takes a long time for God to teach me things. And I look back and think, why did I not just allow God to work through me? 
times of isolated pain. God then took, took Elijah from this time of isolated pain. He then provided for him. Most miraculous moment. The ravens provided him with bread and meat every morning and every evening. Like some kind of heavenly delivery system on a bike. He said it was by raven. I don't know whether they had those green bags on their back or something. I don't know. And it'd be, I always thought as well, when I was reading this story, thinking, you know, if you're vegetarian or you're doing a low-carb diet, it's a bit tricky. Isn't it? Can you imagine Elijah going, you know what, God, I'm a veggie. I don't do meat. It would be tricky. And, and also, Jews thought the ravens were, were actually um, unclean. You couldn't eat uh, ravens. I'm not sure what you'd think about having your food brought to you in the claws of a raven. Some of you kind of people who love you know, cleanliness and everything wiped down before you start eating. And you like your food on a plate. You may struggle with the idea of God providing you meat and bread in the claws of a dirty raven. Anyone up for that idea? But God was trying to say to Elijah, I want you to be totally dependent upon me. I will provide for you all that you need. I'll provide for you every day, morning and evening. I'll provide you a brook to drink. I'll provide your needs. Right in the middle of a drought, right in the middle of difficulty and uncertainty, God provides for Elijah. And Elijah had to learn to be dependent upon God. He had to learn that he could not provide for himself, that God was his source, that God was his provider. And I want to say to us today that we need to learn to trust God as our provider. I think sometimes in the Western world, we go, if I have a job, if I have a house, if I have a family, if I have the things the world runs after, a car, whatever it might be, then I will be okay. But God says, I want you to rely upon me. I want, I want to be your source. I want to be the one you depend upon. I don't want you to trust other things. I want to put your trust in God. The Bible tells that God will provide all that we need according to his riches. And so often we go, well, God, well, I know you'll provide for me, but just in case it doesn't work out, I'll just set up an investment program over here. Just in case it doesn't work out, I'll have a savings in my bank. Just in case it doesn't work out, I'll have a salary income to ensure that we're kept okay. Now, God, when I've got all those things together, I will then ask you to supply all my needs. God said, I'll supply everything. I will supply all that you need. That's what he guarantees to do. There's this lovely story about this lady who was struggling financially. And uh, she loved God. She was a, a follower of Christ. And she would often celebrate loudly in her flat. And she would have the music on loud. And she would pray loudly. Uh, the problem was the flat walls were quite thin. And her neighbor would hear her singing and praying. And her neighbor was a staunch atheist and just thought all the stuff she was on about was a waste of time. And he would get really annoyed by her. He'd bang on the wall, say, would you be quiet? God doesn't exist. God can't hear you. Why do you keep on insisting about singing these songs and praying these prayers? And he was really unkind to her whenever he saw her around the flat. There came a day where she was desperate and she prayed on her knees and she prayed loudly. She said, God... Would you provide for me? I have nothing left, and I've got a week before my money comes in. Please would you give me just a couple of bags of shopping so I could actually get through the next few days. Now, her neighbor heard her praying. He thought, I, I've got her now. So he went to the shops, and he bought a couple of bags of food. 
And he put it on her doorstep, knocked on the door, and then hid around the corner. The lady comes to the door. She opens the door, and there's these two bags of shopping. She's like, God, thank you. You've provided for all my needs. She was like rejoicing. God, you're so good. You've answered my prayers. And she was celebrating these bags of food. And then the man comes out from around the corner and says, ah, gotcha. God didn't provide your food. I did. There's no such thing as God. I heard your prayers, and I answered them, and that's how it works. There's no such thing as God. The lady's response? Oh, God, you're amazing. You provide all my food, and you made the devil pay for it. <laughs> God provides in mysterious ways sometimes. I love the fact as well that God didn't give Elijah a freezer full of three months' worth of food. God provided for him every day, morning and evening. I think sometimes we want God to provide for us a five-year plan. He says, I'm going to provide for you for today. I will give you bread for today. I will give you manna for today. All throughout Scripture, God provides for the now. He doesn't say, I'll give you a deal that includes your pension program. He goes, I'll provide for now. I'll provide today. And sometimes we get frustrated with God because we want to know the future. You know, many of us will know we've been talking as a church about getting hold of a piece of land to do a new church building on, and we are still progressing that. But it's been really frustrating. I have been very frustrated. Those who've been involved know how frustrating it's become for me because it's so close. Yet, God, why won't you provide our needs now? Why are you making me wait? Why are you making the church wait? What are you trying to shape us into? What are you trying to shape me into? What do I need to learn in this process. God takes us through things because he wants us to be dependent upon him. The building when we get it, and we will, the land we get it, we will, it will not be the answer to our needs. God will always be our provider. God will always be the one that Freedom Church, if we want to be a healthy church, will always depend upon God himself. The day we think that a building will answer our prayers, we've got it wrong. God is always the answer to our prayers. We just would love him to answer some of those prayers by using a building to help us, enable us to reach more people for him. That's our desire, and God has got a great plan. I am learning patience in between that time of now and the future. So God was teaching Elijah's lessons of being isolated in pain to shape him, giving a time of total dependence. He's there being fed by the ravens, this meat and this bread. And then lastly... This, this is like a, a kind of almost like a sick joke in some ways. That, that Elijah is just getting used to eating bread and meat twice a day. He's just getting his head around, you know what, I'm by myself. I'm having to learn stuff about who God's made me to be. And I'm just going to get him head around it all, this, this kind of heavenly catering service I'm receiving. And then verse 7. But after a while, the brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. Can you imagine that moment? God's providing for me. This is working really well. Oh, seriously, God? Now I've got nothing. And this is where God teaches him step three of becoming a man of God, a, a, a person that follows God's heart. He teaches him obedience. Verse eight, God says to Elijah, go and live in the village of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. Zarephath was a, a village, a small place, um, but the word Zarephath means a place of refinement, a place of shaping, a place of purifying. It was like the, the crucible for silver. You know, the, in Proverbs, it talks about the crucible for silver and the furnace for gold. The Lord tests the heart 
of the child. And the crucible purifies silver. The, the furnace heats up the gold and you can take all the dross off the top. And God wanted to, fi- to, to refine Elijah in this place of Zarephath. And he goes to Zarephath and God says to him, go there and there will be a widow that will feed you. And this is a kind of a strange story. He goes to Zarephath and he comes across this lady picking up pieces of wood. And he says to her, he said, would you get me a drink of water? Which in a time of drought is quite a big request. And and if you read the, the, the verses there, she goes to get a glass of water. And as she goes to get a glass of water, she said, oh, you couldn't get some food as well, could you? Has anyone ever done that to you? You're about to go do an errand for someone. They go, oh, by the way, when you, when, on your way to do that, could you just add a couple more things into your shopping list? And, and Elijah did this to this poor lady. She was just about to go, water, seriously, where have you been? We're having a drought right now. You want some water? Okay, we can do water. She's on her way and he goes, oh, could I just add to the list? Could I add some food? <laughs> could you feed me as well? And this is where it gets really crazy. He, the widow turns to him and she says, you know, I don't know where you've been, but times are tough right now. And, and I'm collecting up wood, and I'm going I'm to light a fire, and my son and I are going to have our last meal together. We've got enough for one more meal, and then we are prepared to die after we've had that meal. Now, if you're Elijah, and you've got used to being fed by God morning and evening, and you turn up, and you're being obedient to God, you turn up in this village, and you'll be met with who? But, but a, a lady, a, a, a mom with suicidal tendencies. And you'll go, seriously, God, is this the answer to your, your request? But, but Elijah was obedient. And he said to this lady, he says, you know, God won't let anything you have run out until the rain returns. He said, if you make me a meal, and this is quite an important point. He says to her, if you make me the meal first, God will provide for you and your child every day until the dew and the rain returns. And if you look through 1 Kings 17, she does that. She prepares a meal for him. I don't know what kind of meal you make with flour and oil. It's got to be pretty limited. I mean, he's gone from his, you know, his meat fest over with the ravens, and now he's just on to kind of flour and oil. And he has this meal, I don't know what they are, some sort of biscuits or something, and he eats and he's provided for. But there's a moment where God takes him from a place where the brook dries up, the place where everything he depended upon came to an end. Because he goes, I want you to be obedient. And I wonder if you've been in a stage of life where you go, I've I felt pain, I've been through difficult times, or I've been to a place where suddenly I'm dependent upon God and things I've relied upon have dried up. Things have stopped working the way they used to. Are you prepared to be obedient to God? Maybe the income stream you had <laughs> dried up. Maybe the marriage that was working just isn't working as it used to. Maybe the investments that you made aren't really returning the hopeful returns you had in mind. Maybe family, there's been some breakdown in relationships and things have dried up. And God says, will you obey me? Even when things aren't going the way you'd like them to go. Will you obey me? Will you have complete and unconditional obedience? Because that's what Elijah did. He trusted God. And I've got this feeling that sometimes God forces us out of our places of comfort to get us on the right track. In fact, I think even more than that, I think sometimes the very thing we think we want and we need, God removes it because he has something better for us. And all the time we think this is a good thing and this is something I want, this is something that's really healthy for me, 
God say, actually, there's something much better. If I could just take that away from you, not because I don't like you, because I love you, and I've got something even greater for you. I want to, I want to show you how great a God I am. Being Father's Day, I love that song, Good, Good Father. He's a God who says, if, I want, if your children say, could I have something? Like, yeah, of course you can, and more. God wants to bless you. And some of the things that we think are good for us, God has a different plan. So there's Elijah, and he's stepping in this place of complete, unconditional obedience. Obedience is really important if you want to be a follower of Christ, learning to follow his ways. I've been thinking this week a lot about obedience. You know, in the army, you're taught to be obedient to your commanding officer. You're taught that if you're given an order, you, you do that order immediately. Why? Because in the times of uncertainty, the times of battle, when the commanding officer says, this is what we're doing, this is not the time for a debate. This is the time for obedience. I find it fascinating as a dad of four children, and I, someone say to my children, you need to do this job, this task, this errand tidy your room, you know, stack dishwasher, whatever it might be. And they all have very different tactics on replying to that request. Some insist that it's not their turn. It's someone else's turn. Some just ignore and just drift out the room really quietly, hoping you don't notice. Some like to do the, Dad, you're looking amazing today. Love that shirt on you. Do you really want me? No. I'm just... They've all got different systems. And you know, sometimes I have to push through and say, no, you need to do that. And the truth is, I've just been thinking this week, the truth is, it's not the task that's important. It's not the job I'm asking them to do that's actually that important. You know what? I could tidy their room for them. I could make their bed. I could do the dishwasher. What I'm teaching them is obedience. What I'm teaching them is the importance of when I say something, I want you to obey because this is for your good. That when it comes to a time where you're not sure of your future and I say, Dad, what should I do? I say, I'd like to suggest you this is what we should be doing. And they learn to obey. And we need to learn to obey. If you are of a similar age to me, you will remember the original Karate Kid. Mr. Miyagi and Daniel's son. And Daniel's son was taught, he said he, he wanted to learn karate. He said, Mr. Miyagi, who was a famous Japanese karate teacher, will you teach me karate? And, and Mr. Miyagi says, yes. He said, come to my house, I'll teach you karate. He turns up his house. Some of you know the story. He goes, right, you can start by painting the fence. Paint the fence. I want to I learn how to kick someone's backside. He goes, yeah, paint the fence. He teaches him to paint the fence. He goes, paint the fence. Oh, some of you want to go home this afternoon and watch the film, don't you? You paint the fence. It's Father's Day. If you're dad, you get to do that. I'm watching Mr. Miyagi. He paints the fence. And he goes, right, I've painted the fence. What can I do? Can I learn karate? He says, yes, you can wax my car. Ooh, wax your car. No, you've got to wax on. Wax off. Oh, some of you get really excited. Yes, I know. And he, he goes, what is this all about? And eventually he goes, I'm teaching you something. And he shows him that when he was painting the fence, he was learning his karate moves. How am I doing? And he had all that stuff. And he said, we need to learn obedience to God because God is teaching something through the insignificant moments. And maybe God is trying to take you through a season right now of helping you learn something. Not because the issue you're dealing with is important, but what you're learning to be obedient in is important. We need to be people who choose to be obedient. God shaped Elijah. He shaped him through this whole story of this widow of Zarephath moment. And then just at the end of the story, to complete the chapter here, 1 Kings, uh, where do we get to? Um, Verse 17. So it's all going pretty well. They're eating these weird little biscuits made out of flour and oil. 
and the, 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 the widow is feeding him and her son, and suddenly the son dies. It's tragedy. It's like, I mean, seriously, if you look through this chapter, God kind of sets up Elijah, and then bang, takes his stuff away. Then gives him provision, then bang, something else happens. But here's Elijah's response. He says to this lady, he says to her, give me your son. And he takes the child's, verse 19, he takes the child's body from her arms, carried it upstairs to the room where he was staying, and laid the body on his bed. Then Elijah cried out to the Lord, O oh Lord my God, why have you brought tragedy to this widow who has opened her home to me, causing her son to die? And he stretched himself out over the child three times and cries out to the Lord, O oh Lord my God, please let this child's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's prayer and the life of the child returned and he revived. Then Elijah brought him down from the upper room and gave him to his mother. What a moment. Look, he said, your son is alive. That was a moment. See, God took Elijah to the Kerith Brook to be cut down, to be cut off, to go through a time of isolated pain. God then took him through a season of total dependence upon him through the provision of meat and bread. And then God asked him to be unconditionally obedient so that he could perform a miracle. This is the first of many miracles to come. And what happens in verse 24? The woman looks at Elijah and says, Now I know for sure that you are a man of God, and the Lord truly speaks through you. No longer is Elijah, Elijah from Tishbe, he's Elijah the man of God. And I don't know about you, but I, I hope that when people look at me, they don't go, oh, that's Sim, he leads Freedom Church. That's Sim, he's got four kids. That's Sim, he drives that type of car. That's Sim, he comes from that family or that background. I'd love it if people said, that's Sim, he really follows God. He really listens to what God is saying and is obedient to him. I wonder if people say that about you. I wonder if people refer to you as the job you have, the position you hold, the family makeup you have, or whether they say to you, oh, that person, they really follow God. They love him. For more information about Freedom Church, please go to www.freedomchurch.uk. Thank you for listening.